Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 94 of the show, and it is another great one for you this week. We have plenty to discuss. Major League Baseball playoffs, we've wrapped up the wild card round. Moving on to the division round, so we'll recap the wild card series and uh, preview the divisional series and uh, with some predictions there. The National Football League is through five weeks. We'll recap week five and uh, do a standings update there. College football, we're through six weeks there. We'll do uh, a top 25 uh, rankings update in college football with some news and updates from there. Some new faces inside the top 25. And the National Hockey League season is getting started this week. So we'll do a division-by-division preview, and I'll give you some predictions on who I think is going to win each division. And, of course, the Around the Island segment has plenty of topics there. But we are going to start off on the PGA Tour. This past weekend's tournament was the Shriners Children's Open. That was at the TPC Summerlin course in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was a par 71 distance with 7,255 yards. This course has been a staple on the PGA Tour for a while. Uh, they, they make a trip through every year. Uh, it's just one of the more beautiful courses on tour. The lush bent grass greens, got a lot of water. And then, of course, being in the desert in Las Vegas, you have some canyon-type looking stuff and some arroyos water running through there. Uh, watching it on TV, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of it this weekend, but I did tune in for a brief moment, and uh, the course looked immaculate. It did feature a new layout this year. Um, not a whole lot different, but uh, it, it led to some pretty low scores. The field for this thing is what you would expect for a tournament in Las Vegas. It always brings out the best. 12 out of the top 50 ranked golfers in the official world golf rankings were out there. Uh, including a lot of President's Cup players. Uh, I mentioned last week to keep an eye on some of these guys, the U.S. representatives, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, and then a lot of guys from the international team, uh, Tom Kim, Cam Davis, Siwoo Kim, K.H. Lee, Mito Pereira, Christian Bezadenhout, and Sung J. M. Right? There were a total of five major champions in the field. So I say all that to tell you that it... Uh, it was a pretty good field that we saw, very competitive golf, and man, that uh, that came to fruition. Uh, we saw some high-level golf being played. Uh, each of the first three rounds featured, well, really all four rounds featured some very low scores that we saw. The opening round, uh, Tom Hoagie shot an 8-under 63. In round two, Mito Pereira shot an 8-under round of 63, and so too did Robbie Shelton. In round three, the field went absolutely bonkers with their play. 
The best round of the day was Patrick Cantlay shot a bogey-free 11-under round of 60. He was just dialed in all day. Uh, I mean, you can't be 11-under par and, and not be dialed in. So Cantlay shot a 60 on Saturday, and Tom Kim actually shot a 9-under 62. There were a couple guys, Matthew Neesmith and Sung J.M., that both shot 8-under 63s on Saturday. So it was some high, high-level golf. We also had Aaron Rye, a golfer from England. He shot a 9-under 62 on Saturday as well. So that was kind of the theme. There were a lot of guys that went low on Saturday. Saturday is nicknamed Moving Day for a reason, and all those guys uh, certainly did that on Saturday. Fast forward to Sunday, the final pair for the tournament was Tom Kim and Patrick Cantlay, okay? And they played together all round. They started off tied, uh, you know, so they they were matched together. They went back and forth most of the round. They entered, uh, walked up to the 18th tee. They were tied at 24 under par. Patrick Cantlay proceeded to absolutely fold like a cheap tent. He had an errant tee shot and never recovered from that. He ended up triple bogeying the hole. Tom Kim ended up parring the hole to stay at 24 under, which was good enough for the victory. And Tom Kim is your winner at the Shriners Children's Open with a score of 24 under par. He shot a 5 under 66 on Sunday to do so. Now, he did that, uh, you know, down on down to the last hole, you know, dramatic fashion, basically, uh, after Cantlay's tee shot went haywire. But this was Tom Kim's second career PGA Tour victory in just his last four starts, right? And that doesn't even factor into the stellar performance that he had in the President's Cup a few weeks ago when he was one of the key components of that international team. I mentioned last week's episode to keep an eye out for the President's Cup players in this thing, and as we'll see in a moment, uh, that really came to fruition there. But what was most impressive about Tom Kim's victory uh, this weekend was the fact that he played 72 holes, right, Uh, made 24 birdies and zero bogeys. So Tom Kim played the entire tournament bogey-free, making him just the third player since 1974 to win a stroke play event without making a bogey. That is just simply incredible. This victory for Tom Kim on Sunday, uh, he was only 20 years, 3 months, and 18 days old when he got his second victory on tour, which made him the first player since Tiger Woods to earn two PGA Tour victories before turning 21 years old. Tiger Woods got his second victory at 20 years, 9 months, and 21 days. So Tom Kim was six months, old, uh, 6 months younger than Tiger Woods when he got his second victory. Now, I'm not saying he's Tiger Woods or the next Tiger Woods, but this dude's world golf ranking has skyrocketed over the last couple of months, and uh, it is deservedly so. Tom Kim might just be one of the very best players in the world. He is certainly right now the way he's playing. Uh, You know, with that victory before the President's Cup, then his performance in the President's Cup, and now this tournament a couple weeks after the President's Cup. Two uh, two victories in his last four starts. Um, 
I would not be surprised at all if Tom Kim won a major championship this year. Uh, he he is that good. Like I said, he was your winner at 24 under par. Two-way tie for second between Patrick Cantlay and Matthew Neesmith, both at 21 under par. So that triple bogey for Cantlay sent him down to 21 under. Three guys tied for fourth at 20 under par. Tom Hoagie, Mito Pereira, and Seung-Hoon Kim. Solo seventh at 19 under was Sung J.M., Two guys tied for eighth at 18 under par. That was Jason Day and Siwoo Kim. Now, you'll notice I mentioned the President's Cup players. There were a total of five of them that I just named inside the top eight. So I told you to watch out for those guys, and boy, was I right, because five in the top eight. Two guys finished tied for 10th at 17 under. That was Maverick McNeely, Adam Hadwin. McNeely really helped himself in Thursday's opening round and Sunday's final round shooting a pair of 7-under 64s in both of those rounds. So, like I said, very good competitive golf this past weekend in Vegas. Would expect nothing less with the location and the field that we had. And, man, it it definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, But in the end, the new emerging superstar of the PGA, Tom Kim, is your winner. But that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Zozo Championship. That is at the Accordia Golf Narashino Country Club in Shiba, Japan. It's a par 70. Distance is 7,079 yards. This course first opened back in 1965, but it's only been host to the PGA Tour since 2019. Now, the 2020 COVID year, this tournament was actually played in California. So this is only the third tournament, third Zozo Championship that is being held at the Narashino Country Club. So it's still a very new course to the PGA Tour. Guys aren't as familiar with it. It's a wonderful layout, uh, Parkland layout. So you're going to have a lot of trees, should be very green, pretty good weather. Uh, The city of Shiba, Japan is just east of Tokyo. So you should have a pretty good view of Tokyo from this golf course. The course itself isn't too long. It's just over 7,000 yards, like I mentioned. And they actually, after last year's tournament, they actually added 40 yards to this thing. So at 40 yards uh, over the course of 18 holes, you know, is, is not, you know, it's only, what, five yards a hole or so. But um, I don't know where those additions are. But it's, it's, it is playing 40 yards longer than it did last year. Now, the field for this thing is is very good, uh, exceptional, I should say. Uh, it's headlined by a Japanese native and last year's winner of this event, Hideki Matsuyama. Right? Matsuyama won this thing by five shots last year. Uh, pretty cool story for him. Now, this field also includes three of the top 11 ranked golfers in the world. Xander Schauffele is the fifth ranked golfer in the world. He was your gold medal winner in, at the Tokyo Olympics last summer, so he is certainly capable of, of winning in Tokyo. Colin Morikawa is the ninth-ranked golfer in the world rankings. He'll, he'll be out there, and so too will the 11th-ranked golfer, Victor Hovland. All right? Some big firepower, and that goes uh, with Hideki Matsuyama as well. He's up there in the rankings too. So some, some top-end firepower out there. And uh, I mentioned the President's Cup players, Corzander Shoffley, Colin Morikawa were both one, but so too is Cameron Young for Team USA. He's making his debut in this event. He's a terrific young player. He can absolutely mash the ball. I'd keep an eye on him to contend this weekend. 
And then there's also going to be a lot of lot of names from that international team, including uh, Sung J.M., Corey Connors, K.H. Lee, Christian Bezadenhout, Siwoo Kim, Sebastian Munoz, Mito Pereira, Cam Davis, and then last week's winner, Tom Kim. He will be out there as well. Uh, another recognizable name in this thing is Tommy Fleetwood. So there's going to be big-name players all over the place there in Tokyo. And uh, again, keep an eye on those President's Cup players. They've been playing really well since the President's Cup. And like I said, five finished inside the top eight last week. So certainly keep an eye out for them. The field is only 78 players, and there's no cuts this weekend, which means anybody, uh, all 78 players that start this thing are going to finish on Sunday, with the exception of anybody that withdraws. So uh, it should be a fun competitive weekend with no cuts. Now, I, I will mention this. I don't normally talk about the uh, viewing aspect of this in terms of when it's on TV, because here stateside, the tournaments all run generally around the same time, right? Thursday uh, Thursday morning to Friday afternoon, late. Same thing on Friday, and then Saturday is uh, late morning to mid-afternoon when they wrap up. Well, this weekend, uh, because of the time, substantial time difference between the United States and Japan, this golf tournament actually gets started late Wednesday night here stateside going into early Thursday morning, which means Thursday, it's going to be late Thursday into early Friday, same thing, late Saturday into early Sunday, uh, you know, over the weekend rounds, Friday into Saturday, Saturday into Sunday, okay, so for viewing purposes, it's going to start um, around 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, so 9.30 p.m. Central time, and go till about 3 a.m. Eastern, 2 a.m. Central. So a little overnight golf this week, kind of an you know, interesting little flair. You know, the Open Championship, which is usually in England, Scotland, or Ireland, right, is a six-hour time difference from at least the Central time zone here in the States. So uh, that usually starts a little after midnight, and goes a little further into the morning, right? But this one, because of the bigger time difference, uh, we're starting it uh, at nighttime here in the States and ending overnight. So especially with the weekend rounds, those are the rounds you, you more are prone to watch on Saturday and Sunday. If you sleep in a little bit on Saturday or Sunday, you're going to miss golf because it will have already ended, all right? It's going to end, again, 2 a.m., Central 3 a.m. Eastern will be the ending time both on Saturday morning and Sunday morning this week. So uh, if you're a, a night owl, like to stay up late, you should be able to catch uh, all of this tournament or most of it. Uh, I, due to that, uh, I generally stay up fairly late. So I will probably get to watch more of this tournament than I have of any other tournament since the President's Cup uh, even going back to last year, the FedEx Cup playoffs, right? So uh, I will probably watch a decent amount of this tournament just because of the time that it's on and the fact it's uh, going to be a very good competitive tournament. Like I said, 78-player field, no cuts, so everybody should be ready to roll all weekend. But we will definitely check back in next week to see how the Zozo Championship played out. But we'll move over to the National Football League and do a standings update here in the NFL. We are through five weeks of the NFL season, uh, almost uh, a third of the way 
through the year. Hard to believe that already. But um, the theme of week five, it was really, uh, it was another good week of football. Some great games were played. Uh, but the theme, it, week five kind of got defined by two roughing the passer penalties, um, which I'll get to in a minute. But we opened week five with an absolutely horrendous poop show of a Thursday night football game between the Denver Broncos and the Indianapolis Colts. It was a field goal fest. Um, the Broncos made some very questionable coaching decisions. Uh, they should have kicked a field goal. Uh, they had the ball with about two and a half minutes left in Colts territory. They were up by three. It was fourth and two. They went for it, converted it, and ended up throwing an interception in the end zone just a few plays later. Gave the Colts the ball uh, with about two minutes left. They took it down, kicked a field goal to tie it, went into overtime, and Indianapolis ended up winning in overtime. If Denver kicks that field goal to go up by six there, um, that would have forced Indianapolis to need a touchdown to win. There hadn't been a touchdown scored in this game. Uh, there was zero touchdowns scored in this game, in fact. So just an absolutely horrid game to watch. That was not exactly how you want to start off the week. But it came out just a couple days after that that Russell Wilson was diagnosed with a partially torn lat muscle in his right shoulder, which does not need surgery. But this just smells a little fishy to me. Uh, Russell Wilson has been terrible this year, very underwhelming certainly has underperformed his expectations and his contract and he has probably the worst game probably one of the worst games that I've ever seen Russell Wilson play and statistically it wasn't great either um, it comes out that he's got this magic injury now I'm not saying he's not hurt but the timing of this news it just seems something smells rotten there but um, a terrific Monday night football game between the Raiders and the Chiefs uh, in Arrowhead Stadium. That's how we ended the week. Uh, terrific game. Uh, the Raiders uh, scored a touchdown with about four minutes left. Uh, could have kicked the extra point to tie it at 30. Instead, they tried to go for two, did not get it. We're about uh, six inches short of the goal line. And um, that's how the game ended. It was 30-29. to 29. Uh, Travis Kelsey, this stat line from him was absolutely preposterous. He had uh, seven catches for 24 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that is just, like, you can't even make that up. Seven catches for only 24 yards, that is horrible, uh, especially for Travis Kelsey. Anytime Kelsey has seven catches, you figure he's probably damn near 100 yards. No, he had 24 yards, and four of those seven catches were touchdowns. Uh, he literally had all four Kansas City touchdowns. But uh, it was just a great game. That was probably the best game in the NFL this year, um, or certainly one of them. But it was a horrible start to the week, good ending to the week as far as watching the games. But I mentioned the week was defined by two roughing the passer calls. The Atlanta Falcons made a third down stop against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers late in the game. They're only down a touchdown, only down six points, actually. It was 21-15. Falcons get the third down stop. They sack Tom Brady. Grady Jarrett kind of wraps him up around his waist and falls behind him and kind of spins with him 
and takes him into the ground. The ref said roughing the passer because he threw him in. It was not roughing the passer. That was certainly not roughing the passer. There was no intent to injure there. And then in that Monday night game, Chris Jones stopped Derek Carr. He sacked Derek Carr on a on a third down as well. Now, I, let me back up. That call against Atlanta gave Tam, uh, Tampa Bay a, a first down and ended up allowing them to run out the clock. So if Atlanta gets the ball back, they score a touchdown, kick the extra point, and win the game. There was a little over two minutes left when that happened. So uh, Atlanta really got hosed on that one. Uh, Kansas City, they had sacked Derek Carr. It was Chris Jones who did that, and it was a strip sack. He literally ripped the ball out of Derek Carr's hands as he was sacking him and was, while holding the ball, fell on top of Derek Carr all in one motion. They called it roughing the passer, and that was even more egregious because uh, the call, I'm saying, because that was there, there, he wouldn't even really hardly hit Derek Carr. Uh, he literally stripped it from him. So uh, because of that, the NFL has come out and said that they are going to uh, look into those two calls, all right, uh, that have headlined week five. So the NFL is going to look into it. What comes of it, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, hopefully they'll implement uh, using the instant replay to maybe confirm certain penalties, especially ones that have changed the course of two games, really, this week alone. But, uh, yeah, pretty pretty intense week five. We'll do a standings update, try to be brief. <clears throat> uh, AFC, uh, AFC East, Buffalo Bills are 4-1. and one. Uh, They just, uh, they put a whooping on the Steelers this week. They're insane. Uh, they're, they're plus 91 point differential in five games. They're the best team in the AFC. Uh, they are on a collision course with Super Bowl 57. The New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins are three and two. Uh, the Jets actually beat the Dolphins this week and, and absolutely pummeled them. Jets are, are three and two. All right, the other New York team, the Giants, they're four and one. This is through five weeks. The last time that both New York teams were above five hundred at any week of any season was week nine of two thousand fifteen. So we haven't seen both New York teams over five hundred in uh, seven years. That is rough. But the Jets look pretty damn good. I'm not saying they're certainly not going to win that division. That's Buffalo's division, but. Uh, the Jets playing like they are, uh, I would not be shocked if they squeaked into some kind of wild card spot. Uh, the Dolphins, to the whole Tua Tagovailoa thing, he still hasn't played. Teddy Bridgewater got out, uh, knocked out with a concussion on Sunday against the Jets, so they were down to their third string quarterback. Uh, who knows what's going to happen this week, but Dolphins are going in the wrong direction after starting out 3-0. and uh, New England Patriots are 2-3. and They got a Big win over Detroit uh, was, I think it was 29-0. They shut out the Lions, highest scoring offense in the league, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens, they're 3-2. and two. They had a big win on Sunday night over Cincinnati, who's 2-3, and three, tied with Cleveland. That division is just, I, it, every year it's like this, just a slugfest. You can pretty much write off the Steelers at this point. They're 1-4. Kenny Pickett threw for over 300 yards in his debut, but he also threw the ball 52 times because Pittsburgh was down from the word go in that game against Buffalo. 
but Baltimore looks really good. They they gave up uh, two leads. <clears throat> um, their two losses this year. They gave up a 17-point lead and a 20-point lead. So if they don't blow huge leads in those two games, Baltimore's 5-0, and all right? They're a very good team. Uh, so I, I, they're in good shape. Cleveland, uh, they're 2-3 they're and three as well. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is, you know, just not Deshaun Watson. They should be getting Deshaun Watson back here in a few weeks. I think uh, week 12 maybe. So... You know, if they can tread water until then, who knows? Cincinnati just does not look like the same team that was in the Super Bowl this past year. Uh, but that division is ugly. <clears throat> Over in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans are 3-2. and two. Uh, They've put together uh, a few good weeks here, three wins in a row. They're up to 3-2. and two. They did place wide receiver Traylon Burks, rookie, uh, rookie wide receiver there on the IR with turf toe. So they're going to be without him on offense. Uh, Indianapolis Colts are 2-2-1 and one after that ugly win in Denver, uh, but they're still in it. Jacksonville, they're 2-3. and three. They're going in the wrong direction. Um, they started off really looking decent, and they've lost a couple in a row. Houston Texans finally got their first win. They're one three and one, and um, they did that against Jacksonville this week. So uh, Houston's on a bye this week. This is the first week of bye weeks, week six. <clears throat> Over in the AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs are four and one. They it, it, they're looking like they're going to be Buffalo's opponent in the AFC title game. Those two teams are far and above everybody else in the AFC, and it's not even funny. Patrick Mahomes had four touchdown passes this week, all to Travis Kelsey, uh, but they're just too good. They were down 17 points in that game. I forgot to mention, Chiefs were down 17 nothing early uh, second quarter, and they came storming back. Los Angeles Chargers are 3-2. T- uh, and two. Austin Eckler's been on a heater. Um, you know, Chargers have the roster to, to get it done, so we'll see if it continues in the right direction. They uh they've won a couple in a row. The Denver Broncos, they're two and three. I mentioned that ugly loss. And to make matters worse, uh offensive tackle Garrett Bowles broke his leg in that game, so he's out for the year. Add that to Javante Williams who's out for the year and Randy Gregory who's still out another three to five weeks. Uh it's it's Denver is in a world of hurt. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders are one and four after that, uh, but they're only minus five point differential in five games. Okay, they all of their games have been extremely close, and um, if they didn't play in the AFC West, I think they would have a shot at the playoffs. But being that they're in that division with the Chiefs and the Chargers, I don't see three wild card teams coming from that division as of now. Over in the NFC, the NFC East. Philadelphia Eagles are 5-0, all right? They're the only undefeated team in the NFL playing really good football. Jalen Hurts had two rushing touchdowns this week, bringing his career rushing touchdown total to 19, and he's only made 24 starts. So he actually passed Cam Newton for the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in his first 25 career starts. So uh, he's throwing the ball really well, too. It's not just his feet. He's, he's using his arm and 
Philadelphia is looking pretty scary because their defense is good too. Uh, NFC East also, the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants, both 4-1, and one, okay? Um, Giants are a fraudulent 4-1, and one, all right? They, they have four wins in the first five weeks this season. They only had four wins all of last season, but they are, they're a very fraudulent team. I, I do not believe in the Giants. Brian Dable has done a hell of a job as the coach. I'm not taking anything away from him, but uh, the the Giants are just not a good team. I, I'm truthfully, I'm not sure how they beat Green Bay this week in London. Uh, that was the second of the of the three London games this year. <clears throat> uh, Giants did beat the Packers there, but yeah, I, I, the, they're just the the I don't think the Giants will not be in the playoffs uh, when the season's over. All right, that's just not happening. So you can pipe down about that. Dallas Cowboys, my beloved Dallas Cowboys. They're four and one, and Cooper Rush is is won all four games this year that he started. Uh, Dak should be coming back. They got a big game this week against Philadelphia on Sunday Night Football. That I'm pumped up for that one. It's in Philly. It's going to be rough with the crowd being uh, rowdy, but the Cowboys are a legitimate. Super Bowl contender with that defense. That the Cowboys defense is the best in the league. They um are exceptional on all three levels. You saw it against the Rams. You saw it well hell, you've seen it in every game, but uh especially the last couple weeks between the Rams and the Giants, just and the Commanders, you know, just they they've been stifling. Uh Cowboys, I'm as a Cowboys fan, I'm truly surprised that they're four and one. Uh, even if we had Dak Prescott healthy uh, for the first five games, I don't think anybody predicted that we would be 4-1 and one because we had Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, and L.A., uh, the Rams, on our schedule first five weeks to go with the Giants and the Commanders. So I, I think most people thought we would either be 2-3 and three or 3-2. Three and two. Uh, Nobody said we would be 4-1, and one, and we're doing it all without Dak Prescott. So... Uh, although this game against the Rams had nothing to do with Cooper Rush, he did not look good at all. A lot of the offense came on the ground, but that game was one on defense and special teams. So either way, I'm not arguing. I love the the fact that the Cowboys are four and one, and with that defense playing the way it is, I think the Cowboys certainly are looking good for the playoffs at the moment. Washington Commanders are one and four. You can go ahead and eliminate them from the playoffs at this time. NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings are 4-1. and one. All right, another, another close win this week, but uh, against, I believe, Chicago. Uh, but either way, um, the Vikings, I picked them to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, and they're 4-1. and one. They're looking pretty good. Justin Jefferson actually passed Randy Moss for the most catches in Minnesota Vikings history through a player's first three seasons. So uh, he's definitely one of the best in the game. Green Bay, uh, the Packers are 3-2, and two, fresh off their loss in London to the New York Giants. They're going to want that one back at the end of the year. Packers are only plus one in point differential. So uh, they have not had a good season. Um, I, I'm not sure on the Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers, so I can see them being a playoff team. But in the same breath, I don't know. I, I just I think there's five teams that are probably better than the Packers at this particular moment in the NFC. 
Chicago Bears are two and three. Uh, like I said, I, they're like the Giants. I don't know how the hell they've won two games, but they have, and uh, they're not making the playoffs. Detroit Lions are one and four. Another brutal game. This one they just got outplayed. I mentioned last week how the Lions offense was the league's best through four games, averaging 35 points a game. Well, they went to Foxborough, New England, and in week five they scored zero points. They got shut out. And in doing so, they became the second team in the past 25 seasons to enter a game leading the NFL in scoring offense and get shut out in that game. So, yikes. I don't know. They're on a bye in week six, so we won't see them this week. Uh, I don't I don't know what else to say about the Lions. They, they, they have the potential to be good. They just have gotten some tough breaks. NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are three and two. New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons are both two and three. Atlanta's played in some really close games. They're only minus four. Uh, they had a chance to beat Tampa. They got hosed on that penalty I mentioned. New Orleans had a big win this week. Uh, Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill both went bonkers. Um, it's good to see the Saints back. Chris Olave, I think, got a concussion, so we'll see if he's available, but the worst team in that division is Carolina. Uh, the Panthers are 1-4. and four. In that Week 5 game, Baker Mayfield suffered a high ankle sprain, so he's going to miss a couple weeks, which may actually be a blessing for the Panthers, honestly. Baker Mayfield has been absolutely terrible. He has the worst quarterback rating in the league among eligible quarterbacks. He's just been absolute boo-boo in Carolina. And uh, Matt Rule, the head coach of the Panthers, he got the boot this week. He was fired after a 1-4 and four start. He was in the third year of a seven-year contract. Carolina still owes this dude more than $40 bucks, and they just let him go. So he, he leaves, Matt Rule leaves Carolina with a record of 11-27. and 27. Not good. And uh, defensive passing game coordinator Steve Wilkes is going to be named the interim head coach, so he will be taking over. Uh, but Carolina is, you could throw their name in the hat for, uh, in contention for number one overall pick, especially because there's rumors they're going to have a fire sale and start trading everybody off to acquire picks. So it uh, would not shock me if Carolina had the first overall pick in the draft next summer. NFC West, San Francisco 49ers are 3-2. and two. Uh, They had a bunch of injuries on the defense. Nick Bosa hurt his groin. Jimmy Ward broke his hand. Emmanuel Mosley tore his ACL. So, Stand by on the 49ers. They're a good team, but we'll see how that defense looks here after this week. Los Angeles Rams, Saint, uh, Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals, and the Seattle Seahawks are all two and three. Now, the Rams, um, they don't look good at all. Uh, Matt Stafford is not playing well. It's basically Cooper Cup on offense and nobody else. Defense has not played up to its potential. Certainly not the same Rams team that we saw in the Super Bowl last year. So uh, Rams, not a, not a good thing going on there in L.A. Uh, it's, it's helpful that the other teams in their division, uh, namely Arizona and Seattle, aren't good either. So it, it'll keep them competitive. Arizona's 2-3. and three, uh, Boneheaded call there in their game. Kyler Murray thought he got the first down late in the game. 
spiked the ball, but it was actually short. So him spiking the ball made it fourth down. They had to try and kick a field goal as time ran out, and uh, Matt Amendola missed the kick. So Arizona had a heartbreaking loss there, but they they just they haven't looked good at all. Um, they they could be zero and five. Really, it's they're they're close to being zero and five. Seattle. Two and three, they've played pretty well, surprisingly. Geno Smith has played a lot better than anybody else would have thought at this point in the year. Uh, they did lose Rashad Penny to a broken fibula, so he is out for the year. It is the Kenneth Walker show in the Seattle backfield, so we'll see how the rookie holds up the rest of the way. But uh, some good games on this week. I mentioned week six. It is the uh, first week that we will see bye weeks here in the NFL. So there are a few teams on a bye, but I mean, it's, you know, every week it seems we have a lot of new storylines, you know, in the NFL. So uh, the teams that are on a bye week, uh, I mentioned Houston is one of them, Detroit, uh, that's just to name a couple, but you know, there's there's some good games on this week. New Orleans and Cincinnati on set. The Thursday night game is going to be another poop show, Washington and Chicago. But on Sunday, uh, Minnesota and Miami, if Teddy Bridgewater can play, that'll be a decent game. Cincinnati, New Orleans, uh, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, that probably looked better at the beginning of the year than it does now. But the best game, there's two, two games really that are going to be exceptional both on Sunday, mid-afternoon, Buffalo at Kansas City and Dallas at Philadelphia on Sunday night football. So we will check back in next week to see how those games turned out. But we'll move over to college football and do an AP Top 25 rankings update here for week seven. Uh, We are through six weeks of the college football season. We had some more good games on uh, Saturday this past week. A few of them uh, really came down to the wire. Uh, Alabama almost lost to Texas A&M, came down to the final play of the game. A&M had the ball at the two-yard line and ended up throwing a, a pass, just a really weird play call, and uh, Alabama escapes. Now, they did that without Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Bryce Young. Uh, he was injured the week before, so he sat out this game. So Jalen Milrow was the quarterback for Alabama. So they, Alabama barely beat Texas A&M with a backup quarterback. So uh, just, you know, for what it's worth, if Bryce Young plays that game, uh, Alabama probably wins by a couple of touchdowns. Another good game uh, was Tennessee. I say good game. Tennessee beat the hell out of LSU. That was one of the ranked games that we talked about, 40 to 13. That game was in Death Valley there at LSU, and Tennessee went in there and absolutely pummeled them. Uh, Tennessee is for real. They are a legitimate team. Another good game, ranked matchup, UCLA at home beat Utah. Uh, UCLA is undefeated, okay? I'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but they uh, they mean business there, all right? And then another a uh, couple notable games. Notre Dame, unranked, ended up beating 16-ranked BYU uh, by eight points there. They were at home. Oh, well, it was a home game technically, but they were in Vegas. And 
that was that was a good win for Notre Dame. TCU beat Kansas 38-31. Now Jalen Daniels, the quarterback for Kansas, ended up hurting his shoulder. It's believed that it's going to keep him out for a while, so we'll see on that. Uh, Kansas State barely got out of Ames, Iowa, uh, against Iowa State with a win. All right, they they only won by a point. That that game uh, kind of came down to the wire too, but. Somehow, Kansas State, that you know, they got away with one there. And then that's that's all the, the main ranked games that kind of took place. But the game that I have to make note of was the Red River rivalry. Red River beatdown, as I should say. My Texas Longhorns absolutely annihilated the Oklahoma Sooners. Okay. Uh, this was the best I had felt. I mentioned this uh, last week's episode. This is the best I had felt going into the Red River showdown in quite some time. I really liked our chances, and uh, Texas came out, and it really was not a fight. This game was over as soon as Texas scored the first touchdown. Uh, Oklahoma was without quarterback Dylan Gabriel, but it didn't matter if Gabriel was in there or not. Texas was absolutely all over them, and uh, Texas won the game 49 to nothing, right? Uh, Oklahoma was the only FBS team last week to not score a single point. Uh, This was the first time uh, Oklahoma has been shut out in any game since November the 7th of 1998. They had scored at least a point in 311 consecutive games. So that streak was snapped. And it was also the largest shutout loss in Oklahoma program history. Okay, so I was all smiles on Saturday. I watched every down of this game, and I was so pumped. It's, you know, Oklahoma coming into this game had won seven out of the last ten of these games, and it it uh, there were a couple that escaped from Texas that we should have won, but uh, Texas came out in this one and took the years of built-up aggression out on the Sooners this year. It was just glorious to watch. But that brings us to this week. It's week seven in college football. Uh, we do have quite a few ranked matchups, all right? There are, with the new rankings, we'll we'll talk about them in a second, but there's quite a few games this week. Uh, let me count them up real quick. There's six games in which both teams are ranked inside the top 25, so that is... Uh, that is quite something. The viewing football viewing this week is going to be incredible. This is probably the best week of football so far, just based on the fact that there's six games between ranked teams. So who are the ranked teams? We'll take a look at the AP uh, top 25 rankings right now. The number one team in the country is the Georgia Bulldogs. They're 6-0. They actually moved up a spot from number two. The number two team is Ohio State. They moved up one spot from number three uh, after they pummeled Michigan State. Uh, Now, the third place team in the country at the moment, number three, is Alabama. They won their game and dropped down two spots, and that was because it was an ugly win, uh, barely beat 
A&M at home, mind you. Uh, again, it was with a backup quarterback, but still for style points, just uh, not what you want to see. All right. Uh, Alabama has, uh, they play one of the ranked games. They play Tennessee. So we'll get to that in a second. Number four is Clemson. Uh, they got a good one against Florida State this week. Should be interesting. That's in Tallahassee. Number five is Michigan. They have a ranked game this week against Penn State. They are at home. Number six in the country is Tennessee. The Volunteers had a huge road win at LSU last week, and they are at home against Alabama, the third team in the country. So college game day will be in Knoxville this week for that Alabama-Tennessee game. So that is going to be some scene there in Knoxville. Number seven is USC. They just continue to win. Uh, They're doing it. You know, with Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, and Lincoln Riley, you know, going over there, proving to be a smart decision for him. They have a ranked game this week against Utah. Number eight, Oklahoma State. Uh, They are on the road this week in a tough game against TCU, which is another ranked game. So it's going to be a phenomenal matchup. Number nine is Ole Miss. Uh, They're at home against Auburn. Number 10 is Penn State. They go to Ann Arbor to play the Wolverines. Number 11, UCLA. Number 12, Oregon. All right, both of those two teams, uh, they're off this week. Their next game is against each other on the 22nd of October. So that game is in Eugene. That is going to be a barn burner. And whoever wins that game is on a fast track to uh, winning the Pac-12. Number 13 in the country is TCU. Just mentioned them. They look really good. Again, they're 5-0. and It would not shock me if they beat Oklahoma State and move inside the top 10. Number 14 is Wake Forest. Still hanging around. Uh, they moved up a spot from last week. Number 15 is North Carolina State. They have a ranked game against Syracuse. That just does not sound right, but that is in fact the case. Uh, number 16 is Mississippi State. They got to go to Kentucky for a ranked matchup. Number 17 is Kansas State. They Their next game, they're, they're off this week. Their next game is the 22nd uh, against TCU. So uh, they barely escaped uh, against Iowa State this past week. So we'll see how that game holds up for them. Number 18 is Syracuse. You know, if it was college basketball, I wouldn't question it, but it's this is football. I can't believe Syracuse football is ranked, but they have a ranked game against number 15, North Carolina State, and Syracuse is at home for that one. So we'll see if they can prove that they are legitimate. Number 19 is Kansas. Uh, they are on the road in Norman. Uh, normally, I would say this game would be an absolute bloodbath, and Oklahoma would win by probably 40. But Kansas is uh, much better than Oklahoma this year. Now, Kansas did lose Jalen Daniels, like I said, their quarterback. So, uh, But um, their backup quarterback came in and looked really good. So uh, I'm taking, I like Kansas in that game for sure. Uh, Oklahoma's in some serious trouble if they lose that one. Number 20, Utah, they got a ranked game against USC, like I mentioned, so uh, that'll be interesting for them. That game is is 
in Utah, so that'll be a good one to watch. Number 21, Cincinnati. They come to Dallas here to play SMU. Number 22 is Kentucky. They are at home against Mississippi State, who's number 16, so that's a ranked game. Number 22, uh, or number 23, rather, my Texas Longhorns, uh, they're 4-2. and two. They sh- could very easily be 6-0, and oh, but um, they have a one-point loss to Alabama and an overtime loss to Texas Tech on the road. So uh, they clean up a few things here and there, and uh, this, this Texas team is for real. They're, they're looking really good, and uh, they, we got a tough one at home against Iowa State this week, so we'll see on that. Number 24 is Illinois. Again, another basketball school, but uh, Brett Bielema has those guys playing really well, and uh, they have a chance to make a statement at home against a tough Minnesota team this week. Number 25, and this is the surprising one, James Madison out of the Sun Belt Conference, 5-0. and All right, they are ahead of undefeated teams like Coastal Carolina, uh, a one-loss Baylor team, and one-loss North Carolina team, you know, maybe two-loss. But they're, they're ahead of teams like BYU, Notre Dame, all the teams that just didn't quite get in. So I, I don't know much about James Madison, not going to lie. I do know, though, that this is their very first time ever in the AP Top 25 poll. So uh, this weekend, very good football. Like I said, game day is in Knoxville, and we have plenty of ranked matchups for you. And there's six games with teams that are both ranked inside the top 25. So there'll be a huge, huge, huge shakeup to the top 25 uh, standings next week. So we will check back in next week and see just how crazy this week of college football was. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball and uh, do an update here in the playoffs. We have officially finished the wild card series, uh, all four of them. It was the best of three. We did our preview on that last week. We'll just recap those games real quick to bring us up to speed. We'll start off in the American League. The American League um, playoffs, of course, two two series. The first one was the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, this series was in Toronto. Uh, I on last week's episode, I predicted that the Seattle Mariners and the Los Angeles Dodgers would be in the World Series, so I did pick Seattle to beat Toronto, and they actually did. Um, The first game, Seattle got three runs in the first inning off Alex Manoa, who had a great year, uh, and then just had a tremendous pitching performance by Luis Castillo. They went out and got him at the trade deadline, so that definitely proved to pay dividends there. So Seattle took game one, 4 nothing shutout. Game two was absolutely insane. Toronto got up big. I'm talking Toronto got up by seven runs, uh, and I think it was like the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, the Mariners came roaring back, took the lead 10-9, to and ended up holding on to it there in the bottom of the ninth. So 10-9 to was your final score. Seattle became just the third team in Major League Baseball history to overcome a seven-run deficit in the postseason. So Seattle moved on. They swept the Blue Jays. I correctly predicted that series. The other series in the American League was the Tampa Bay Rays at the Cleveland Guardians. Now, I did predict that Tampa Bay would win the series. Uh, I said this was a coin flip series, could go either way. Uh, Game one, 
it was a very low scoring affair. Uh, the game only took two hours and 17 minutes to play, which was the shortest postseason game in the MLB since 1999. Uh, lightning fast game. Cleveland had a two run homer from Jose Ramirez in the, uh, I think, the sixth or the seventh inning in that game. That put him ahead 2-1, and uh, like I said, two hours and 17 minutes to play a baseball game is really fast. Game two of this series was the exact opposite, and if you thought 2-1 was low scoring, uh, we had one uh, game here in game two that was even lower scoring than that. Total pitcher's duel. The starters, Tyler Glasnow for Tampa and Tristan McKenzie for Tampa Bay, were uh, for Cleveland rather, were both dealing. We did not have any runs scored through the first... Uh, 12 innings, uh, which was the sixth time in Major League Baseball postseason history that a game had been scoreless for the first 10 innings, all right? The 13th inning, still no score, and it was the first postseason game in history to be scoreless through 13 innings, all right? So uh, it was just an absolute pitching slugfest. This thing actually didn't end until the bottom of the 15th inning. It was nothing to nothing going into the 15th. Tampa Bay did not do anything in the top half of the 15th. And then Cleveland rookie Oscar Gonzalez hit a walk-off solo home run uh, to send the Guardians to the ALDS. So the game went 15 innings, and the score was one nothing. So Tampa Bay only scored one run in two games. Uh, they deserved to lose that series. That was absolutely atrocious offense by both teams, uh, but certainly more by Tampa Bay. So I incorrectly predicted that series. Over in the National League, the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets played. This was at City Field in New York. Uh, I said that the Padres would win this series in three games. All right, Game one, San Diego came out swinging. They dominated Max Scherzer. They hit four home runs off of him. Seven earned runs Scherzer gave up, which was enough for San Diego to win. Uh, the Mets answered back in game two. Solid pitching performance by Jacob DeGrom. You knew the Padres knew they weren't going to beat both of those pitchers. They beat Scherzer. They did not beat DeGrom. So the Mets took a 7 3 victory in game two. So the decisive game three came about, and it was all San Diego. Joe Musgrove, I mentioned him last week. He pitched an absolute gem. Seven innings, no runs. Bullpen held strong, and uh, Padres ended up advancing. Uh, with a 6 nothing victory there in Game 3. So I did correctly predict San Diego winning. With that series loss, the New York Mets became the first 100-win team to fail to reach the division series since the division series was implemented in 1995. All right, Mets had over 100 wins, did not make it to the second round of the playoffs. First team to do that. All right, just a horribly disappointing performance. That Mets team has a lot of big free agents, including Jacob deGrom and Edwin Diaz, their closers. So it's possible that one and or both of those two will not be on the Mets next year. The final wild card series was in the, in the National League was the Philadelphia Phillies and the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, this, game, this series was in St. Louis. I said that the Cardinals would win uh, in two games, and that just was not the case. All right, The first game was absolute banana land. St. Louis Cardinals uh, Juan Yepes hit a pinch hit two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth inning there in game one, which were the first two runs scored. The game was nothing-nothing going into the eighth. Bottom of the eighth was a pinch hit two-run homer. 
St. Louis took a 2-0 lead into the ninth inning, and then the Cardinals' closer, Ryan Helsley, who I mentioned, I gave a shout-out to last week about how dominant he is, he came in and he couldn't hit his plate with his fork. He gave up four earned runs in that uh, top of the the ninth inning. Philly ended up scoring six runs there in the top of the ninth. The Cardinals did get one of them back in the bottom of the ninth, but they ended up losing six to three. Was St. Louis Cardinals' first ever postseason loss when trailing by two or more runs after the eighth inning. They were ninety three and zero all time prior to that so a horrible way to lose game one game two philly came out looked like they were ready to make some noise bryce harper got a home run there in the second inning which was all they needed aaron nola pitched another fantastic game and uh, philadelphia ended up winning that game two nothing to move on so i was incorrect there i went two and two in those uh, wild card series predictions there but that brings us to the American League Division Series and the National League Division Series Uh, the American League Division Series Seattle's victory over Toronto means that they moved on to play the number one overall seed in the American League the Houston Astros now I will say the AL and NLDS series are best of five all right so the first to three wins moves on and the first series is Houston and Seattle first two games are in Houston the next two are in Seattle and then game five would be back in Houston all right as I record this podcast um, all four of these series have already played one game all right I predicted the Mariners would make it to the World Series I'm going to stay with that as my dark horse team I'm going to say that the Mariners beat the Astros game one uh, of this series was was nuts Uh, Mariners had a big lead Houston kind of chipped away at it. Bregman hit a two-run homer to bring them close. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, the Astros were down. uh, They were down two runs. There were two outs and two guys on base, right, down to the final out. And Jordan Alvarez stepped up to the plate and hit a three-run homer, walk-off three-run homer off Robbie Ray on just his second pitch, all right, and uh, sent the Astros to – winner town there in game one with a, a nine to eight victory so uh, I predict Seattle would will beat Houston in the series but Houston did win game one so that is where we're at there uh, the other American League series uh, the New York Yankees uh, they host the Cleveland Guardians uh, I'm predicting the Yankees win this series I, I didn't think Cleveland would beat Tampa I certainly don't think they're going to beat New York so Uh, I'm predicting the Yankees win. Uh, This game has played, uh, this series has played one game, and the New York Yankees did win game one, four to one, thanks to a two run Anthony Rizzo home run uh, to put them up four to one, which was the final score. So uh, New York currently sits one game uh, over Cleveland in that series. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that unfolds over in the National League. The Los Angeles Dodgers are the top overall seed in the National League. They host the San Diego Padres. I did predict last week that the Dodgers would make it to the World Series, so I am predicting the Dodgers to beat the Padres in this series. Uh, first game was played, and it was uh, it was Los Angeles who came out on top. I believe the final score was 5-3 uh, to three or 6-3, to three. and um, that... Uh, 
Trey Turner got things started early with a solo home run. Dodgers got up big in this one uh, before San Diego kind of chipped away. But as it currently sits, the Dodgers lead the Padres one game to nothing in that series. And then over in the final National League series, the NLDS, is the Atlanta Braves hosting the Philadelphia Phillies. All right. Uh, I am predicting that the Atlanta Braves win this series. They are the defending World Series champion. They have a terrific lineup of great young players, great pitching staff, and everything about this series just says that Atlanta's the better team. However, first game has already been played in this series, and it was the Philadelphia Phillies who ended up winning thanks to Nick Castellanos going three for five, uh, driving in some runs. So uh, the Phillies took game one in that series. So I am predicting... Uh, an ALCS of Seattle and New York, and I'm predicting an NLCS of Los Angeles and Atlanta. And currently, uh, out of my predictions, two of them have the series lead, two of them do not. So we will check back in next week to see how the AL and NLDS series turned out. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and uh, just talk about the beginning of the National Hockey League regular season, which has already started. It technically kicked off this past weekend. There were two games uh, overseas in Prague, Czech Republic, that were part of the NHL's Global Series. Of course, NHL has a lot of players from Europe, Czech Republic being one of the countries that's heavily represented. And um, just to kind of touch on that to show you why uh, the NHL played over there. Um, NHL players on opening night rosters, all right, there are 290 from Canada, 206 from the United States, 68 from Sweden, 40 from Russia, 32 from Finland, and 30 from the Czech Republic, all right. There's also 10 from Switzerland, 8 from Slovakia, seven from Germany, all right? So those are the main countries that are represented amongst NHL rosters, all right? Only 40% of those are from Canada. Uh, normally, it's it's a lot higher. Uh, uh, 12 years ago, it was about 53%. 10 years before that, or 20 years before that, in 1990, it was 74%. And then back in 1980, it was 82%. And then all the way back in 1970, 90%. of NHL players were from Canada. This year, it's only 40%, like I mentioned. So you see it's a good good split between uh, players, but there's a lot of European countries represented, which is why the NHL started its season, the Global Series there in the Czech Republic. They're also, I think they're playing some games uh, in maybe Finland or Sweden later on this year. So, uh, But those, those two games were the Nashville Predators and the San Jose Sharks, and Nashville ended up winning both of those games. So good start to the season for the Predators. Made for a fun flight home, I'm sure. But we enter this year. The NHL regular season has officially started. The team with the highest odds of winning the Stanley Cup are the Colorado Avalanche. All right, They open as the Stanley Cup favorites. They are the defending Stanley Cup champions. All right, And then in descending order on odds to win the Stanley Cup, the Toronto Maple Leafs, which... Anybody that's a Leafs fan or knows anything about the Leafs in the playoffs thinks that's probably very comical, although they are a good team. The Florida Panthers are third highest odds. Tampa Bay Lightning, fourth highest odds. Carolina Hurricanes, fifth. Calgary Flames, sixth. Edmonton Oilers, seventh. 
Vegas Golden Knights, eighth. New York Rangers, ninth. And Minnesota Wild have the 10th highest odds to win the Stanley Cup. Teams right behind Minnesota, you have the Pittsburgh Penguins, St. Louis Blues, Boston Bruins, Los Angeles Kings, and New York Islanders. That rounds out the top 15. Uh, My Dallas Stars are 17. And Washington is only the team in between New York and Dallas. So uh, you can see the odds there. You know, I like for Colorado to to certainly contend this year. It's pretty hard to repeat the Stanley Cup championship, but we'll have to see on that. A lot, lot of teams made some moves in the offseason, a little more competitive. Should be a fun hockey season. We'll, uh, I don't want to spend too much time in the NHL because the season just started. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll do some standings updates kind of as we move through the season like we do with the other sports and like we did last year. So, uh, but... We've got lots of NHL hockey on uh, this this week and moving forward as we move into the, the winter part of sports where we have uh, the NBA, the NHL, kind of dueling with uh, the NFL for viewership. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to speed on the NHL uh, as we move forward. But just some, some quick predictions uh, on who I think is going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. In the Western Conference... I do think Colorado is still the best team. So as of now, uh, I do like the Avalanche to win the Western Conference, but I can certainly see them being challenged by um, teams like Calgary. I think Vegas is going to have a turnaround year. Uh, St. Louis is always known to make some noise. And uh, Nashville is always a good team. I'd be happy if the Stars made it. They currently have the eighth highest odds to win the Western Conference as it sits now. So we'll see. Over in the Eastern Conference, I like the Tampa Bay Lightning. They kept a, their main core of players intact. You know, Stamkos, Vasilevsky, Point, Hedman. You know, those guys are all still there. So uh, I like Tampa Bay to come out of the East. Um, you know, Florida, I, I don't like losing Huberto for Kachuk. We'll see how that turns out, that trade that went down. So, uh, But they'll, they'll probably be in contention. And Toronto, just based on roster, it's hard to not think Toronto uh, is going to compete. But uh, they're currently the favorites in the Eastern Conference, to win the Eastern Conference, that is. So we'll, we'll see how that unfolds. But we'll, like I said, as, as the season moves along, we'll, we'll keep you up to date with, uh, with our usual standings updates. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, it's pretty brief this week. We've already covered a lot of stuff. So uh, we'll start off in the National Football League. The only thing noteworthy that we haven't already discussed is the fact that the NFL Players Association agreed to changes in the concussion protocol. And it appears that the NFL is following suit with that. And this all stemmed from the Tua Tagovailoa incident between weeks three and four where he basically got back-to-back concussions. And so now the referees are literally calling uh, regular sacks on quarterbacks, regular hits, uh, roughing the passer penalties, which has gotten out of hand. There needs to be some sort of, um, you know, mediation there. And we discussed that earlier. But um, it, it does appear the NFL has made changes, and it seems like maybe the time frame to return to the field from a concussion has extended. So uh, we'll start to see that. 
uh, ramp up even more as we move along further in the season. Uh, moving over to the National Hockey League, a couple of free agent contracts or re-signings rather. The Calgary Flames, they uh, signed defenseman Mackenzie Weger to an eight-year, $50 million extension. If you recall, Weger was acquired from the Florida Panthers in that Matthew Kachuk trade that also netted the Flames' Jonathan Huberdo. And this trade seemed like a really bad trade for the Panthers when it was made. And the fact that uh, the Flames were able to re-sign both Huberdo and Weger to eight-year contracts just makes the, the Panthers look horrible in this trade. I think the Panthers were banking on the Flames only re-signing one of them with the other one testing free agency and potentially going back to Florida. But that's not happening because they re-signed both. This was an absolute robbery of a trade by the Flames, and uh, we'll see how it works out for them. Uh, the other contract re-signing to note is the Buffalo Sabres. They re-signed defenseman Matias Samuelson, seven years and $30 million. So not quite uh, the heavy contract that Uyghur got, but uh, Uyghur's a better player. Samuelson's locked up in Buffalo for the next seven years. Then we did have one trade. The Chicago Blackhawks traded defenseman Riley Stillman to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for forward Jason Dickinson and a second-round draft pick. Dickinson was a former Dallas star, did pretty well as a role player, kind of the same thing over in Vancouver. So the, the Blackhawks get uh, Dickinson and second-round pick back. And then the final piece of NHL news, the Buffalo Sabres, they named uh, their new captain. It's Kyle Oposo. He becomes the 20th captain in franchise history. He's been with the Sabres since 2016, so it's been a while. Before that, he was on the New York Islanders, so it has been a while since he has done any kind of winning, but at least uh, Oposo has been named the captain. The all-star defenseman Rasmus Dahlin, he was named one of the assistants, one of the younger assistant captains in the league. I think he's only 21 years old, potentially 22, so one of the younger captains there in the league for Buffalo. Moving over to Major League Baseball, which is where we'll wrap it up. The Atlanta Braves, they have re-signed pitcher Spencer Strider to a six-year, $75 million extension. Strider had a remarkable rookie season, and uh, he's definitely one of the main reasons why the Braves were able to win the NL East for the fifth straight year. And this contract comes on the heels of all the other contract re-signings that the Braves have done with all their young core players like Austin Riley, Vaughn Grissom, Ronald Acuna, Matt Olson. All those guys have re-signed for the next uh, four to eight years. And uh, you can throw Spencer Strider in there as well. The Braves are going to look very similar over the next four to eight years, and they're going to be in and around the playoffs because they have a great, great core of elite young talent that they have all locked up to uh, fairly team-friendly contracts too. So that is great work there in Atlanta to get all those guys re-signed. And then the Philadelphia Phillies, they have officially removed the interim tag from manager Rob Thompson's job title. They signed him to a two-year contract. If you recall, Rob Thompson took over for Joe Girardi, uh, who was fired back in June, just a couple months into the season. And from that point on, when Thompson took over, the Phillies went 65-46, and 46, which is 19 games over 500. And not only did they do that, they made the playoffs for the first time in 11 years. And to make it even better, the Phillies swept the Cardinals in the wild card series last week. So 
certainly things going well there in Philly, and Rob Thompson has proven that he is a capable manager that uh, can get these Phillies to win. So uh, we'll see how he does next. We'll see. The Phillies aren't done. They're they're up one game right now. They've they've already won game one of the NL uh, DS against the Braves. So we'll see how they do, but they're they're looking pretty good, playing good ball at the right time. So, but that's going to wrap up the 94th episode of Sports Island. Uh, it was definitely a longer episode today, so I apologize for that. Um, but you know, it's one of those deals where uh, you know there's just so much going on, and there's so much to look forward to this week. A lot of good stuff on TV. We have uh, some PGA Tour golf in Japan, which is going to be uh, able to be seen late night here in the United States, when starting Wednesday night into Thursday. So we have that. The NHL's regular season is officially started, so we got some hockey going on. Of course, Major League Baseball playoffs are, are rocking and rolling with the AL and NLDS. And then uh, college football on Saturday, we got six ranked matchups. That's going to be terrific. And then, of course, NFL Sunday football never, ever disappoints. So there is plenty to watch this weekend in sports, and I will be tuned into as much as I can, uh, pretty much all of those at some point, and uh, we will reconvene next week and see how everything turned out. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.